Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. Everybody good? Good Christmas? Yeah, I, I really haven't had Christmas yet. If y'all haven't noticed, I'm still working, <laughs> kind of working. Uh, Christmas Eve and uh, Sunday, they come really close together. Our son and daughter-in-law are driving up from Texas today because he's in ministry too, right? So he's going to be at church this morning in Texas. They're going to drive up and to get back in time for church next Sunday. So I think it's funny. I ruined every Sunday of his life, you know, by dragging him to church. And now the kid's in ministry and has to ruin his own Sundays by being <laughs> in church every Sunday. Uh, God bless him. I'm proud of him. Uh, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Uh, this may not be the, the Sunday after Christmas sermon you expect, but I do think it's appropriate and important. As you know, the season before Christmas is called Advent, and Advent just simply means coming, it's about the, the coming of Christ, so the, the coming of Jesus, which you always have to remember is that the Jesus who came the first time is coming again, and, and that matters a great deal, and that's why typically around Christmas, for those of us who love to preach from the Bible, it's important to remind folks that in the same way that he came the first time, he's coming again, and, and I want us to talk about that second Advent from Revelation chapter 20 today. I want to talk about it because for five weeks we've been talking about mission one. It's, it's the new way of, of talking about, thinking about, picturing our future together, our life and mission together as a church. We've been talking about the what of mission one, what it means and what it calls us to do and what it calls us to do, to put it in nutshells, each one of us is going to have to surrender to a whole different kind of evangelism, a whole different kind of life for the gospel, and, and, and that's what I'm calling us to do. That's the what. But I'm told in business circles that when you talk about the what, you better be ready to talk about the why. And, and so today, we're talking about the, the, the why of, of, of Mission One, why it is that we will be called to go, why it is that we will be called to sacrifice, why it is that we would be committed to sharing the gospel. And the very simple reason is that Jesus is coming again. Help me out, Emily. Jesus is coming again. That, that's the why. This is the motivation. It, it is what sets uh, something of an urgency to our task. Jesus is coming again. We talk about the prophecies way back in the Old Testament that foretold the coming of the Messiah and the wonderful fulfillment when Jesus was born and Jesus actually came and was born and took on flesh. And we celebrate that fulfillment. Well, in the same way that there were prophecies that foretold his first coming, there are prophecies that talk about his second coming. Jesus is coming again. Now, we just sang the song in this room. We just sang, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And we talked about that first coming. We talked about how he condescended, how he came veiled in human flesh. When we talk about the first coming of Jesus, we talk about the humble, gentle Mary who laid her child in the manger, that soft-fleshed little boy, and how he grew up to be despised and rejected by us. How in the end, we, we, we took him, we, we beat him, we spit upon him, we nailed him to a cross, we crucified him. And he simply went to his death, chose his own death, silent as a lamb, the scripture says. What you just need to know, that that was a one-time deal. Jesus coming humbly, Jesus coming veiled in, in flesh, Jesus surrendering himself to the rejection, to, 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 the, uh, to, to, to the spit and, and the, the suffering of humanity, that was just a one-time thing. 
the next time he comes, Scripture says, he comes in glory. The next time he comes, he comes in all of his holiness. There is no veiled Christ next time. Every eye shall see him, Scripture says, and it's going to be nothing like the first time. And, and that's why we say that the why of Mission 1 is that Jesus is coming again. Because understand, Mission 1 matters. <laughs> back up. Mission 1 matters because, uh, forward. <laughs> Mission 1 matters because eternity matters. People need Jesus and time is running out. You with me? Mission 1 matters because eternity matters. I want us to talk about eternity today because people need Jesus and time is running out. Revelation chapter 20 is, is where we go. I know sometimes you avoid Revelation. You, you feel like you can't possibly understand it. It's confusing. It's scary. Uh, I tell you, it, it, it's none of those things. But Revelation is a pulling back of the curtain. It doesn't tell us everything that we probably would love to know about the end of times, about judgment, about eternity. But it tells us what we need to know. This is God's word. And it is complete and it is perfect. So I would say what God wants us to know, this is what he reveals and this is what we know. Revelation chapter 20, let's start at verse 11. We're going to go into, verse, uh, into chapter 21 and uh, talk about what John sees. You ready? Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Let's stop there. What does John see? Verse 11. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. That's amazing. That, that right there is amazing. Do you ever get the idea that in this world, man, nobody is paying attention? It, 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 does it ever seem out of control? 
ever seem like nobody is watching things, ever seem like nobody's keeping score, John gets to the end and realizes that there is one on the throne. He's always been on the throne. He didn't just arrive to the throne. He didn't just find his throne. He's on the throne now, and he will be on the throne then. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. There is a great God, and he is in charge, and he will be in charge. A great white throne and the one sitting on it. In our day and age, there's a certain trend toward sort of celebrating everybody's truth. I always think that's strange when people say, I'm just telling, I'm just speaking my truth. Well, you don't get your truth. There's truth. There's truth. And there can't be multiple truths. There can't be contradictory truths. There is the truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the, the, the truth, and the life. You don't get to speak or find your truth, live your truth. You align yourself with the one who is truth. And, and there is one who is sitting on the throne. I, I know that sounds harsh. Pastor Tim, you sound so judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. We're just talking about the truth here. There is a throne and one sitting on it. So who is the one sitting on the throne? That's what we need to know. If there's one truth, then then how do we know that truth? What is that truth? Because I'm telling you, when this day comes and you stand before this great God, the only thing that will matter is the truth. And you don't get your own truth then. It's it's his truth, right? Who is the one sitting on the throne? Well, Well, you know, again, people these days say, you know, all the roads lead to the same God. Well, they don't. They don't. If you say that, obviously either you're uninformed about world religions or or you're dishonest because they're not the same. They're just not the same. I mean, Buddhism, for example, is an atheistic religion. There is no deity, no God in Buddhism. So Buddhism wouldn't wouldn't picture anything like this. They're not, you know, multiple paths leading to the same place. Hinduism is nothing like this. I know we have something like the golden rule in common, you know, love your neighbor sort of platitudes. But when it comes down to truth, you know, how sins are forgiven, how we find ourselves in right relationship with the one who sits upon the throne, Hinduism has nothing like this. Hinduism has cycles of birth and rebirth, death and and death again. It's not the same at all. They're not the same. We're not talking about multiple paths or just a little bit of variation all leading to the same place. That's really not world religions at all. You you should read more before you talk. Either you're uninformed or just not honest. So there is a throne and one sitting on it. And I just find that amazing. It's it's not going to be Buddha. It's not going to be Krishna. It won't be Confucius. The earth and the sky fled from his presence. That's sort of amazing. What? I mean, the earth, the sky, obviously John is speaking somewhat poetically here, trying to describe something of the holiness of God, something of the vastness of his presence, and in that moment, there's going to be nothing but him. I mean, nothing but him. What's it going to be like? Because understand, this isn't just, you know, Bible speak here. I'm not just, you know, I'm not just telling you a story about, you know, what John says in the book of Revelation. I am describing for you a moment in your life. You you will stand here. You you will see this. This isn't just, you know, a, a parable. 
This is a moment in your life, your future life. You will behold him. Your eyes shall see him. I don't know exactly what that's going to be like for you. I know that in Scripture that, you know, that it often says you can't possibly see God and live. And in this human body, in this human perception, you, you can't. We can't. Moses begged to. He came as close as anybody. The children of Israel, after they had been freed from slavery, they stood at the bottom of that quaking mountain that was cloaked with flame and, and cloud. And, and in that moment, they were as close as any people ever had been close to the very presence of God. But in that moment, what did they say? What did they do? They just sent Moses up. You, know, you, you go up, you come back, you report to us. And when Moses came back down and they saw his face blistered by the holiness of God, they said, on second thought, we don't ever want to see. We don't ever want to hear his voice. We don't ever want to be that close to him. So what's it going to be like when finally we stare at his face, finally we're able to behold him, and we stand, all of us stand. The scripture says, I saw the dead. Both great and small. So there's a a throne and one sitting on it. And then there's the dead. Both great and small. The Greek words there are uh, megalos and micros. I love that. Micros. Little people and big people. All the people. John's not suggesting at all that some people are more important than great people. Megalos and micros the little people. That's not what John's talking about. He's saying Everybody's there, and everybody's there naked together in one long line. And it is not that some people are more important than others. I hate lines. I hate to walk in any place and see a line. It just flies right up my nose. I can't stand lines. I just want to, you know, let me know when I can get up there, and I'll come back. Can I drive around the building? Can I do anything other than stand in this line? In my life, I wish there were always two lines. One for preachers and everybody else. Just have another line for everybody. Y'all stand in y'all's line. I want to be in the preacher line. You know, I, I want a line that's short. A, a line that recognizes my importance, my, my busy schedule. I want a line that gets me in and out. I don't like lines. You just wait your turn, standing there with all the micros people, the little people, you know. But this is a point. One long line. One long line of people. Elvis doesn't get ushered to the front. You know, the president doesn't get a special place with his secret service. I'm telling you at that point, it's just all the people. All the dead. And that's part of the irony here. Not dead anymore. On the other side of death, understand, you still have an appointment to keep. And you won't miss it. You won't miss it. I saw the dead standing before God's throne And the books were open. So John sees the throne with one sitting on it, the one who is sitting to judge, right? And all the dead, all the people, micros, megalos, all of the people standing naked before him in a long line, and the books were open. Notice John sees a, a book and the books. There are books and a book, and they're different. Now, the books or what you could call your permanent record. I remember the day in sixth grade, I did something, and the teacher said, that's going to be on your permanent record. And I thought, <laughs> we have one of those? What is a permanent? Like, this is going to follow me? 
permanent record. Yeah, you have one of those. I know that you had been thinking that you would escape most of what you had done. Like now I'm laughing, and this boy's not going to be my permanent record. It has never come back up. You know, that I spit water after band practice on Laura Collins. You know, that has not come back. Well, till now. And you know, you feel like you've outlived it all. You know, you've forgotten half of what you've done. But the point here is that they're books. Now, honestly, I don't think God needs books. So when John says this, when John sees this, I don't really, I'm not really thinking that God says, yeah, pull up, pull up. What, what's that boy's name? Let me see his picture. You know, God's not like your grandma who can't remember stuff without seeing it written down. I'm not sure God needs books. But I think the important point here is that you have a permanent record. And you are going to be judged by your deeds. That's what the scripture says. And if you're in question of that, it says that multiple times going to be judged according to their deeds. And the deeds are there. It's a permanent record. Your thoughts, your words. I mean, it it all comes back. It all comes back. Every thought, every word, every deed for your whole life. You're going to stand before God and it's going to be brought back for you. That's the standard of judgment. You're thinking, Pastor Tim, that's not even possible. That's going to take a long time. Like everybody who's ever lived, and that's what the scripture says. Every caveman, every person from ancient Egypt, everybody lives in Las Vegas today. I mean, every single person who's ever lived on planet Earth is going to stand in one long line, and one at a time we get to take our final exam before the only judge of heaven and earth. So Pastor Tim, that's going to take a long time. Yeah, I I suppose. You understand, right? We're in eternity now, so time doesn't apply. And can I also remind you, you ain't got nowhere else to be. And I promise you, nobody will be in a hurry. Because for most people, what comes next is terrible. The sea gave up its dead, death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found or recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so let's make it perfectly clear. God will judge you according to what you've done. Your deeds, your works, your sin. This is the basis of judgment. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I don't think I've been that bad a person. And there have been some really good people in the world that weren't Christians, Pastor Tim. And you're trying to tell me that that, that their works are going to send them to hell. I, I wish I could tell you anything else, but that's just the truth. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than a lot of people. And understand, that's not the point. It's not a standard where you just get to compare yourself to other people, because I can play that game too. If I just get to compare myself to somebody else, and can I pick that person? I'm going to pick out an axe murderer. I'm going to pick out a child molester. I'm going to find somebody so wicked, so despicable, and I'm going to say, look at there, compare me to her, compare me to him. If I get to pick the person, 
I can make myself come out smelling like a rose, but that's not the standard. You don't get to pick the standard. Your deeds, your words. You say, Pastor Tim, I'm pretty good. I promise you. When you stand before the blazing furnace of God's perfect holiness, it's not even going to occur to you to say, but I've been a pretty good person. At that moment, your goodness, your righteousness won't seem like anything even to you. It can be judged by deeds, judged by works. I know, I know where your head's going. I'll get there with you in a minute, but stay with me because this is what Scripture says. Judgment is according to works. And all of your deeds, all of your works will come back. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, your works can do nothing but condemn you. And nobody there has got to go, well, hold on, I never saw, man, she's a good lady. She is, you're right, she's, come on in, honey. She's a good lady. No, no, there's not a single person on this earth ever lived, ever shall live that you can say is righteous. No, not one. God will judge according to what you have done. But understand, only Jesus can save you. There are books and the book. Did you see that? There are books, books. Uh, they're not really necessarily titled. I guess one of them is going to be titled, you know, you. But there's one book that's called the book of life. In, the, in chapter 20, it's called the Lamb's book of life. So there is books and then the book. And the book is the Lamb's book. And who is the Lamb? The, the Lamb is Jesus, right. So, so Jesus has his own book. Now, in the books, we assume what's written in the books? Deeds, names, dates, places, prom, 1973, you and her. Yeah, I mean, all of those deeds are right there in the books. Works are recorded in the books. But in the book of life, it's not a record of works. It's just a list of what? Names. Just a list of names. Because in the Lamb's book, it no longer matters what you have done. Are y'all with me yet? In the Lamb's book of life, it no longer matters what you have done. Because this is the Lamb's book and the Lamb is Jesus, right? And Jesus himself has already paid the penalty for the sins of the world. It is Jesus himself who came. First time he came, right? He came to save us. Not to condemn us, but to save us. He came to make a way so that we could spend eternity with him, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our works could be erased. Our sins will never be brought up anymore. Our sins are thrown as far as east is from the west, at the bottom of the deepest sea. Your sins are never coming back. This is what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. This is what happens when you accept the amazing free gift of salvation that is offered through the sacrifice of Jesus. He is the lamb, the spotless lamb that takes away, he takes away the sins of the world. So there are books, everything you've ever done, but there's the book, the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's just a list of names. It's just a list of names. So how do you get your name in his book? believe ask or receive it's not anything that you do this is what i'm telling you judgment is by work salvation is by grace only jesus can save you only his grace can save you 
So some of you think, well, Pastor Tim, I don't, I don't really understand how a loving God would send people to hell. That sounds cruel. Does it, though? There were moments in my life when I, when I, when I thought the same thing. I just can't imagine it. Because I know people, I know people who don't believe in Jesus, they, they don't want Jesus, they, they, don't, they don't believe any of this. And if I'm faithful, I have to believe that, that this is what awaits them, and, and, and that, that breaks my heart. I don't know how to tell them, I don't know how to make them believe, but... but if, if I say that this word is the word of truth, and if I believe that this is the word of God, then I don't have any other options. But there have been other moments in my life when I just look at the world, and, and I see the suffering of people, and, and I see the wickedness of people. Have you ever not just looked up and thought, is nobody keeping score? You ever just see, you know, w wicked people? I mean, look, look, talk Hitler if you want to. I mean, just Hitler, one of the most wicked man that ever lived that was personally responsible for the death of millions of Jews. And then he just, you know, takes his own life, you know, shoots himself in the head and he's gone. And you just think, no, no. It, it doesn't get to end like that. You don't get to take the lives of millions of people and then just die in your own bunker. No. No, I mean, isn't there something in you that says no? You've got to answer for that. You've got to stand before God. You've got to give an account. There's got to be a settling of the score here. In the world, it seems like the wicked always win. It seems like the innocent, that the children, I mean, those who've done nothing but suffer, it seems like they're always on the bottom. And, and this is the promise, that there really is a God on the throne who keeps score. That there really is a God one day who's going to bring back all of the wickedness. And, and they're going to have to give an account and they're going to have to take the penalty. You've been crying out, where is God? You know, when terrorists fly planes in the building and you say, where is God? You know, why does he let that happen? I'm telling you, he didn't just let it happen. It all comes back. I mean, this glorious picture of heaven we find in chapter 21 is mostly defined by what's not there. I mean, you have to have a separation. You've got to remove the sin, the wickedness. You, you've got to remove the, the sickness, the, the sorrow, the suffering, the death. You've got to create a place where those things are no longer ruling. And this is why my, my heart just says, yes, there has to be a heaven because if there's a heaven, there has to be a hell. There has to be a separation. I don't believe that a loving God sends people to hell. And this is what the book of Revelation teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. God's final decision about you is going to be based on your decision about him. You understand what I'm saying? Nobody's going to be thrown into hell, and they're not, nobody's going to be thrown into hell saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. I don't deserve this. No. The scripture says every mouth will be silenced. I just think it's simple. Obviously, not everybody wants Jesus. Not everybody loves Jesus. 
And so hell is a place so that those who don't want to be with the Lord don't have to be with the Lord. Hell is a place for those who, who they make their choice. They don't want him. They don't want to be in his presence. They don't want his salvation. So hell is a place for those who've chosen that they do not want to be in the presence of Christ. So Pastor Tim, that doesn't make sense. Who would choose hell over heaven? Can I just remind you, they do it every day. People do it every day. Who would stand right there and look into his blazing face and turn away? I don't know. I could never do that. But I'm telling you, people do it every day. There has to be a hell so that people who don't want to go to heaven have another place to go. Understand? There's a separation. There is a judgment that takes place. And I'm not just telling you a Bible story here. I'm telling you about a future moment in your own life. Hell is an alternate destination for those who don't want to go to heaven. Everybody makes their own choice. Everybody makes their own choice. And just to make it clear, the book of 2 Peter says that God doesn't want any person to go to hell. When Jesus himself speaks about hell, he says that this is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never really meant for any of your neighbors. It was never really meant for, for human beings. But, but, but that's the thing in this cosmic struggle between the devil and, and, and the Lord, this struggle between evil and good, people get all mixed up in that. And, and we are all mixed up. And, and now there are sides. And, and you're going to choose your own side. You will. You are. You have. God doesn't want any person to go to hell. So, so stay with me now. We're back to mission one now. People have a choice. So they must be told and they must be led to decide. See, people have a choice. It is not comfortable talking about hell. I'd rather talk about heaven. But people need to hear. People need to know. They need to know that there's something at stake here. And as believers, as a church, we need to know that there's something at stake here. We speak of mission one. We talk about going everywhere and being willing to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with anybody, anywhere, at any time. And we say in mission one that we're going to you know, pay whatever price is necessary, make whatever sacrifice is necessary. And you're going to have to go, why? why? Why should I sacrifice? Why should I care? And this is what I'm telling you, because people have a choice. People will spend eternity in one place or another, and they need to be told that, and they need to be led to decide. Now, I know, you'd rather just have church. You'll sing the songs we like and keep it nice and comfortable up in here. And, and we can just sort of be each other's best friends. And I can preach all your weddings and dedicate all your babies. I can preach all your funerals. And when I'm done, y'all can bury me. And we could have had a really good life here in the Lord. Meanwhile, the world perishes and nobody tells them. We have a job. We have a responsibility. People have a choice, and they must be told. How much do you just have to not care about people to never, ever mention the most important thing in the world, and that is where will you spend eternity? To never even raise the question with your own grandchildren. 
You've asked them a hundred times since the kid filled her first diaper, where are you going to go to college? But you never asked them, where will you spend eternity? I can't imagine heaven without you, baby. I really want to know that your relationship with the Lord is in place. I mean, how can you never have these conversations with people that you say you love? People have a choice. They must be told, and they have to be led to decide. Everybody makes their own choice. But if you don't tell them, you understand, it's like you're trying to make the choice for them. Everybody deserves to hear the gospel. And the people who know you and love you, they deserve to hear it from you. Jesus tells an amazing story. We often call it the story of the rich man and Lazarus. But it's one of the few places where Jesus really talks about somebody who goes to hell. He's called the, the, the rich man. Lazarus was the poor man who lived at his gate and begged for food, and the rich man never helped him, never cared about anybody but himself. You know, his life was good. And then both men die. Lazarus finds himself in glory. The rich man finds himself in hell. And then Jesus goes on and plays that out. He, he tells us what happened after the man went to hell. You remember what happened? First off, he looks up and he looks at Lazarus. And he says, hey, why don't you send Lazarus down here to bring me a, a bottle of water? See, even in hell, that idiot still thinks he's in charge. Send him down here, down here to do something for me. And No, it doesn't work that way. There is a vast gulf. There is no passing between here and there. And then the man's very next response is amazing. He says, okay, if he can't come to me, will you send him to my brothers? Because I got five brothers, and I do not want to see them here. Isn't that interesting? How 30 seconds in hell turns this man into an evangelist. You know, and this is what I'm telling you. Hell should make evangelists of us all. Send somebody to tell my brother because I don't want my brother to, to be here. Send somebody to tell my neighbors because I don't want my neighbors to end up in a place like this. I mean, this is what the rich man, I mean, all of a sudden, this man could, could lead a missions organization. Send somebody now to tell the world, you understand? Hell should make evangelists of us all. So, so the rich man, when he says, send somebody to tell my brothers, understand, it can't be Lazarus because his place is already settled. He's gone. But, but you know... The, that that's somebody that could be sent. That, that would be us. We're still here. We still have life. We still have strength in our bones. We still have breath in our lungs. We still have a tongue that can tell the news. And we really have to tell the news. Hell should make evangelists of us all. There are a lot of reasons that a person should come to Jesus. The forgiveness of sins, the fruit of the Spirit, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the presence of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are real, and all of these things are amazing and wonderful reasons for a person to come to Jesus. But I think one of the most important reasons to come to Jesus it's a simple reason that everybody who's ever lived, they're going to live again. There's a life after this life. And the life after this life is eternal. 
You weren't just created for 75, 80 years on this earth. Understand, you were created for eternity. Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere, heaven or hell. So for five weeks, we've been talking about mission one. Talking about the what. (laughs) We're going to try to surrender to lives of evangelism. Not just to talk about it, but to go and to preach and, and to make real sacrifices to see that the world comes to know Jesus. Missing one matters because eternity matters. Because people need to know. And time runs out. Pray with me. Lord, some of us, our hearts break when we see the suffering of the world. The suffering of our community, Lord, even now to think that there are still hundreds of families without homes in Bowling Green because of the storm. We grieve because we think about the kids who didn't have a good Christmas, Lord. Our our hearts are soft and our hearts break, Lord, but apparently our hearts aren't soft enough. We never stop to consider, Lord, not just the families that want to have a Christmas, Lord, but the families who have no hope. The the families who don't know Jesus, Lord, the the families who've never been told. It's not just the children who won't have a Christmas, Lord. It's the children who don't have a a, a life with with Jesus or or, or anything, Lord, to look forward to in eternity, Lord. As soft as our hearts can be in certain circumstances, Lord, there's a hardness when it comes to our thoughts about eternity. It's almost as if, Lord, that we've got our ticket to heaven and that's all we care about, Lord. We're fine, now let the rest of the world go to hell. Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts with all of the things that break your great heart. Help us, Lord, to have a real concern, a passion. Break our hearts, Lord, for the lostness of the world, for the lostness of our neighbors, for the sword of wrath under which our children and grandchildren live. Oh God, we often don't like to think about this side of things, Lord. We like to think of the gospel as good news, Lord, but before the gospel is good news, Lord, there is terrible news that we have to absorb. People need you, Lord, and time runs out. So Lord, I pray that as we... uh, close out this old year and step into a new year, that we will step into the new year with new eyes, new hearts, new concern for the world, and a new desire, Lord, to tell the world, Jesus is Lord, the time runs out. We pray these things in his name.